It's the Jesus and Paula Show. Starring Jesus Christ and Paula Price. Tune in as we learn the mind of Christ and thoughts of God. Welcome to this week's broadcast of the Jesus and Paula show. I'm Apostle Ashley kicking off today's episode. You know, I was going to say a whole bunch of other things, but let me start off with a hot button of mine right now. I was looking through the feed and, and you know, the whole administration over this country is stepping on the last nerve I think I have. I cannot stand when people create a problem so they can write themselves in as the hero in the solution. We have got to be aware whenever we see corruption creating problems so that they can be looked at as the hero solving the problems. And this is an ongoing issue across the board in many things. It's a tactic probably as old as the hills of being the one who is the hero only to find out you're actually the source of the problem. And so in examining, even in elections, who you're voting for, who you're choosing, you need to make sure that the person who is painting themselves to be the hero is, in fact, not the culprit that caused the problem. All of a sudden, food plants being burned to the ground, baby formula shortage all of a sudden. And here comes the the Washington, D.C. heroes. Are we really supposed to believe that this is all just happenstance? I think not. And in light of that, you need to join us this Friday at the embassy tomorrow, May 20th, 6.30 p.m. We're going to be watching 2,000 mules. If you're in the Tulsa area, if you're part of the, a member of the Congregation of the Mighty, we have flyers. If you want to distribute them to your friends, we're going to distribute them even to the neighborhood around here. 2,000 mules, movie night, and strategic discussion. After the film, when the lights come up, we're going to have a strategic discussion led by Dr. Price and some of her constituents, hopefully that can make it. She's invited. You know, their schedules right now are all over the place. But those who will be here, there will be big brains here one way or another to address what should we do now? Do we actually have power as U.S. citizens? Does our vote count? The main question we always hear, well, should I even vote? Does it even matter? After this, I know there are people who are avid conspiracy theorists, accusers. You guys just want Trump in office so badly. You'll say anything. Come on already. Give me a break. It's got to be deeper than that. And then when they watch this film, it's like, wow, this much uncontested footage. And you're talking about it's edited down to produce a film. Not all of the footage. I have produced many media productions and you can start out with Hours and hours of footage you have to go through to just get seven minutes, four minutes. You still have to wade through all kinds of material. And so what we see here in the film is nowhere near close to what they actually have and what they decided to edit down to at least come to one point. A few points, a few conclusions. What to do after this besides being depressed and in shock. That's what we're going to address. And then June Third, we also have a prophecy, prayer, and praise night at the embassy. And uh, it's about the prophetic voices speaking out, praying out, prophesying into this situation. We're inviting some of our local ministers in the Tulsa area to join us, to participate, because we have got to hit this thing with a hammer. And not just 
in the spirit, but in the natural, but for sure in prayer. There is much power in prayer. The work that we do in the flesh is largely determined by what we can or cannot achieve in the spirit. And the less you can achieve in the spirit or the less you do achieve in the spirit, the harder it is here in the flesh realm. When you can do battle effectively, when you can do effective, I want to say effective. Can somebody say effective? Effective spiritual warfare in the natural, you will find your ability to progress and achieve your goals to have less impediment. Now, I'm not saying none. All right. Because there is a human factor. But maybe that person who is standing in your way is reassigned on their job and somebody new is in their position. Maybe the storm that was kicking up is diminished to a light rain. So you can still have your event and your building isn't blown away by a tornado. There's a lot of things that you can do and accomplish in prayer because everything starts in the spirit realm and is governed by the spirit realm. So we invite you to those two events. Now, last week we introduced a new segment to you uh, that we talked about that we're going to do the apostles acumen and also eye of the prophet. This week we're kicking off with the apostles acumen. But first, we're going to take a sneak peek at season two of Uh, Taking it on, I want to say what title, Taking It On with Paula Price. She's had several guests. We're going to make sure everything is uploaded online. Weekly, she broadcasts on Golden Eagle Broadcast Network, actually on Thursdays in the morning, 1130, I think it's 1230 Eastern, 1130 Central Time to noon on Golden Eagle Broadcasting. So you can catch it, especially now that you're not going to see us live online. At that time, you can stay connected with Taking It On with Paula Price, which is our 30-minute television show. Uh, Coming up next week, actually, not today, but next week, she will have Kyle Thompson, who is the host of Undaunted Life, a men's podcast. This man is powerful. We appreciate you, Kyle Thompson. Okay, welcome to the family. And he lives in Oklahoma. He's not too far from us. And so maybe one day we'll try and get him in studio. I'm just putting it out there. We know some people who know some people who might be able to make that happen. But he and Dr. Price get along like a house on fire. He's like a son that she gave birth to. I'm telling you, he sounds He sounds so much like her. And so take a look at this sneak peek of next week's episode of Taking It On with Paula Price. Uh, Yes, yes, Taking It On. (laughs) Like, I have to keep the show titles. I'm like, is it Taking It On? Is it Jesus and Paula show? Is it Sunday Sermon? Is it Sunday School? Is it Wednesday night? Is it Apostle of the Future? Is it In the Midnight Hour? What am I saying and where am I? All right, with Taking It On with Paula Price, we'll be right back after this sneak peek. It's the Taking It On Show with Paula Price. With your host, Paula Price, taking on the issues, representing Jesus Christ, unapologetically truthful, taking on popular opinion. And now, it's your host, Paula Price. Today's guest is Kyle Thompson, host of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Learn more about Kyle at www.undaunted.life. One of the things that I say when I write, they ask me, because, you know, I've written dozens and dozens and dozens of books and I don't know, probably thousands, at least 5,000 pages of text on various subjects, because like you, I read, I want to know. But here's the secret to my writing success. I write to one person and you won't believe who that person is. 
I write to the person who hates me. Okay. And I do that because the people who love me will forgive me. Sure. Right. They will overlook all of that stuff. Well, you know, we know you're no, but I want that person who doesn't like what I am, what I stand for, what I believe, and I write to that person. And so when you read my writings, it is for my, it's for my family and my friends. Hey. And so I was wondering when you do your work, do you when you have to prepare for this, do you prepare for a friendly audience or do you prepare for a maybe a not so friendly audience? So the thing that I do is and this is going to sound super churchy and all that stuff, but you know, part of the thing is, is like, I don't really care what you think. And I'm, I'm not saying you, Paula, I'm saying you people, I don't really care if you like what I say or don't like what I say or like, you know, the way I say it or don't like the way that I say it, because my audience of one is I'm like, if God is pleased with what I'm saying, if what I'm saying is truthful, if what I'm saying can be grounded to the gospel, uh, that, that we see revealed in scripture, um, that that's my audience. And so I tell people all the time, I was like, if you have a complaint about something I've said on my show, mm-hmm. but I'm not factually incorrect, save yourself the time of sending me an email because I don't <laughs> care. And and that's the thing is it sounds really cruel and it, and it sounds like a, a bit rude, but it's like, look, there are two and a half million podcast shows out there. So if you don't like mine, if you don't like the way I say it, if you don't like the way it looks when it comes out of my face, fine. I am not going to beg you to be a customer of mine. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to do it. And so I guess that's, that's the thing for me, but, but it is interesting how you put that. It's very easy to get into an echo chamber, whether you're on the left or, or the right or, you know, atheist, ag- agnostic, Christian, whatever. It's easy to get into an echo chamber. But if, you're, if your arguments can at least make sense to the other side, that's good enough. Because this idea true. that... Yeah, the idea that you're going to create this perfect paragraph or this perfect segment of your Not podcast, happy. and all of a sudden they're just going to be like, oh, my entire life is different now. I thought this way, and then I read your thing, and then now I think this way. No, no, no. It's the Greg Kokel idea of just putting a rock in somebody's shoe. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm having a discussion with you and you think it's okay to kill babies in the womb and I don't, I want to say some things and ask you some questions. That's just going to be a rock in your shoe. It's just going to be annoying to you. And you're mm-hmm. going to have to deal with that. And so that's what I kind of keep in mind is if you don't think the way that I do, at least I want you to know that I put a lot of effort and I put a lot of time into thinking through my philosophy on it. Well, and, and with that, Paula, the it's always weird. I just want to call you Paula. I know I should probably be calling you Dr. Price. No, Paula's but good. Let's I may just that. start calling you grandma. I wish you were my grandma. Like, um, you know, I lost mine a couple of years ago. So if you'd like to hop in, uh, that'd be great. But um... <laughs> And that is only a taste of what you will get with that episode. With Dr. Price and Kyle Thompson, that man. And he said his grandmother passed away a few years ago. If you laugh through that comment of him saying, I want to call you grandma, it's because his passed away a few years ago. He said, so if you want to step into that role, that's okay with me. And I was like, oh, yes, come on, son. We need to bring you into the family. He and his wife just had, I believe, their second baby, right? Was their second baby? And so he's like dad of two uh, and husband and is hysterical. And you could tell this man is serious about the Lord. And he knows what he's talking about, which is why he and Dr. Price get along so well. She was a guest on his show first, and he has a man's podcast. He says that it's geared for men. And whenever he heard what she said and did, he said, oh, no, 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 I'm going to bring her on. My audience is going to love her. So he usually only has men on his show, mostly men. I want to say mostly men. 
And she spoke at the end of her uh, interview with him to fathers about their daughters. And he said the wisdom went over so well with his listeners and his viewers. Now, this, they tackle the issue of abortion. And so this is going to be a three-part series with Kyle. The end of this episode, Dr. Price goes into a very personal testimony about herself and abortion. And then I kind of leave you with a cliffhanger. I love being the producer. Yeah, <laughs> And it's to be continued. She's like, Kyle, what do you think? To be continued. So next week, this episode will be live next week on Taking It On with Paul Price. We're also introducing the new segment today, kicking off with the Apostles Acumen with me. I'm actually today's segment. And so we'll be right back after this segment of the Apostles Acumen. Hello, welcome to the Apostles Acumen. I'm Apostle Ashley Clater. And today we're going to highlight a very interesting piece about apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets historically save nations. Now I know we have regulated these offices down to the church and what they do for the church and the church regulating them. But according to scripture, these two offices, and we teach this at Price University, these two offices predate the church, that is scripture, that is fact. So they are national offices before they are ecclesial offices. Very, very, very important thing to know, especially right now. Now, I want to challenge you to go back through scripture and look at how, especially, of course, in the Old Testament, the prophets were used with kings in wars to deliver nations, to defeat armies, prophets, strategy, insight, wisdom, all of that from the prophet's mantle. Moses being the apostle's prototype, establishing God's government for his nation, not for the modern church that we have today as we know it. Apostles and prophets are intrinsic and intricately woven into the nations of the planet. Now I have here a picture on the screen of a global flags so that we can get the image here of what we're talking about. Go back through scripture and look at the, the prophets for God and not for God. The prophets of Baal were about preserving the nations in which Baal was over. The prophets of Jehovah, of Yahweh, were for his nation. Balaam, I mean, the list goes on. The battle of the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, who were what? Going to kings, heads of state heads of nations, as we would call all the titles that we use now. That's where the apostles were going then. So they were, as they were building out the church and that was happening, they were dealing with the heads of nations. They were dealing with the, uh, the apostles and the prophets throughout time, dealing with laws, how they were made, addressing who was righteous and unrighteous, what they were going to do to the nation, how they were going to either deliver it or throw it into bondage, how they were, how a leader was going to push a nation toward the Lord or draw them away from God and the judgments that came thereof. So we really have to get it out of our minds that the apostle and prophet's role is to stay in the church and to play it safe. We've seen over the last five years for sure, how many of these two officers have played it safe, retracted on what God had told them to say when the pressure was turned up by the church. 
We are not governed by the church. We are not established by the church. These are the top two offices, just like the federal government is not governed by the local government. That's not how any of this works. And we need to get back into our places as apostles and prophets, get into our seats of leadership in our communities. So when God downloads to us a vision or a plan or a strategy, it's not for us to just write in our journal, it's to actually go to our seat of authority and make it happen. It is not enough to have power in the spirit. We need to have power in the natural. It's not enough for us to just uh, take the time to war in the spirit realm without coming and stepping back into the natural realm and executing it through an official office or an official station, whether that's in your business, in politics, in ministry, in teaching, in the music industry, wherever you're called to be. It's time to work, war, and pray without ceasing. But it's not just time to pray alone and hide in our prayer closet, but to get out of our prayer closet and remember that historically, apostles and prophets save nations. only knew what was going on in this studio right now with the apostles and prophets <laughs> okay kicked off the apostles acumen next week is eye of the prophet with one of our near prophets bringing us in five minutes or less what i spy what's going on in the kingdom watchmen what of the night <laughs> okay i always think that at some point probably every uh, apostle and prophet wants to be a spy some sort of investigator some kind of whatever, because in the natural, because that's the mantle, is to get all in the business. And the apostles and prophets of old were always in the business, in the enemy's camp by the spirit realm. I mean, come on, what kind of, see, because we, oh, this is good to me. Hmm. We always want to bring it down to the prayer closet. But really, you need to walk into your prayer portal to really handle business because they we they stepped in, stepped out of the natural, stepped into that realm, and they were able to port into King's meetings, port into by the spirit realm what the enemy was doing, also what God was doing. And you can tell that we have taken and clipped the wings off of these mantles, clipped and unplugged the power. We've gone from a solar power entity to a nightlight. That we talking about this little light of mine, and we always think that's just a candle because that's what they had at that time, and not something from God's world, which is supersonic light. And we brought it down to a lot of these local applications, and so we're hamstrung. We're hamstrung. We're unable to do our job. Where our voices are muted, and we've done it. We've done it in the church. We've done it. Like it's one thing to now blame government as in in Capitol Hill, but let's look at church government and what we've done to ourselves and what we've done to each other in-house in the kingdom of God that even opened up the door for this nasty, debauchery, diabolical mess to happen in the planet. Here we are waking up and it's like, did we ever think we would be dealing with half of these laws that are now law? Did we really? Not at all. Not at all. You could not have convinced me probably 
even 15 years ago, let's just say when I moved to Tulsa, 22, 23 years ago, that, hey, guess what? In in 20 years, you're going to be arguing about boys competing in girls' sports, saying that because they identify as a woman that they are. First of all, we would have said, what does that mean to identify as something? Like, what is that? Either you are or you aren't. I mean, I was watching a clip on one of these reels, uh, Dr. Phil, where a gentleman was sitting there with his beard and makeup. Have you seen that clip? And the guy was telling him, basically, you have a mental, you have a psychological disorder. You're off. And, and what did Dr. Phil say? Are you saying that you believe this is psychological disorder? Well, yes, because it is. You're sitting here full beard as a man. With a full face of makeup as a man. Talking about you identify as a woman. Well, you know what? I identify as a billionaire. I'm going to actually call the IRS after this broadcast It go in maybe irs.gov and find the form that says I identify as being totally balanced with my taxes. I identify as my taxes already being filed. I identify, even though they should already be filed at this point, I identify with being whatever entity. This is how I identify, and this is how from now on you need to recognize me on the federal level. I identify my business as being this classification. Come on already. That rationale doesn't play out anywhere. It does not make sense. I identify, whose daughter do I identify as? Let me think. Who is the most powerful, wealthy? Because that's who I identify as being my daddy. But if we take a DNA test, no, no, no. DNA tests don't matter, remember? We said they don't matter. Because if DNA doesn't matter about boys playing girls sports, then DNA doesn't matter about about me being somebody's daughter who has more money than anybody else can count. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm related to Elon Musk. I identify as that. I believe that I'm a first-generation relative, and I believe that I identify as being in his living will. And I identify as being on the board of whatever is going to give me access to whatever I want. That's how I identify today. Call me Ashley Musk. I mean, come on. (laughs) We can see. I'm going to go change my – I'm going to go augment my features. In fact, I'm not actually. I'm not going to change anything, but I'm going to live every day convincing you that what you see is a lie and that what I see is the truth. Because that's where we are right now. Apostles and prophets out of their place. Man, they called devils devils. Called them up, called them out, sent them somewhere. I mean, you understand all they did was run devils. From the Old to the New Testament, they ran them. Ran, ran devils, especially the New, because Jesus came, and so they actually had authority in that kind of way versus how they had to do it in the old, but still God showed himself strong through the apostle and prophet. And we're in an era right now because we are out of our place where the world is telling us what you see is not true. It's what I believe that's true. I believe, I believe that I am five foot 10 instead of four foot 11. I identify as being tall enough to be a runway model. So somebody needs to give me a contract and not judge me according to their biases of me being short because I feel tall. And in my mind, I am tall. So I'm tall. And you need to acknowledge So when I fill out paperwork, I am not 4'11". I am 5'10 and a half. Let me add a half inch to it because that's how I feel. I identify... 
we could, if we really ran this stupidity down the street, we could see the chaos and pandemonium that it's already causing. But the main underlying problem is it teaches people to not take responsibility for their actions. Because that's not what I identify with as being the truth. I'm sorry that what I did caused destruction in somebody else's life. I don't identify as being a criminal. I just identify as being human. I don't identify as being an abuser. I just identify as being misunderstood. Come on, you talk to how many abusive people and they will tell you, I'm just misunderstood. My wife misunderstands me. She doesn't understand. My husband misunderstands me because there are some abusive women out there. Mm. Wow. There are some women who can put a hurting on a man. Okay. I mean, physically, emotional, psychologically. So it's not just one or the other. And But you know what? When you talk to them, many of them, if they're especially if they're not ready to be free or to change, will say, but that's not what I'm intending. That's not how I see it. And that's what we are in the body of Christ. We have unleashed that in the body. Delusion, lies, deception, and youth group. We're in the first five books of the Bible. We're in Deuteronomy. Oh, yeah. We've gone through the Ten Commandments, walked walk through much of the law, things like that. <laughs> and when I asked the kids last night, what are some of the things that you remember? Uh, Ten Commandments, which one do you remember? Don't lie. <laughs> that one, lying is in Scripture a lot. Bearing false witness, not telling the truth. And what are we dealing with right now in our society in the world? The spirit of a lie, the principality of lies. Because you know it's a prince because if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then you know that a lie is a prince that he has to come against as the truth. The truth is a being. So is the lie. The spirit of lie will show up and talk in people's ear like a person. And what do people say? Well, I dreamt it as a little kid. I had, and if you ever take biblical psychology, Dr. Price deals with imaginary friends with your children. If you survive to the end of the course, okay, hallelujah. I think that was one of the last couple of uh, things there. Also in an episode of season one of Taking It On With Paula Price, she deals with parenting and parental curses, which you should really check out. Takingiton.com, www.com takingiton.com. She'll put that up on the screen. Is a great place for you to go and watch season one of Taking It On with Paula Price, as well as season two. That we're, I think we're in episode seven of season two already. So you want to get caught up. Apostle Sally and I were guests on the broadcast of season two. Whole lot of things happened in season two, as well as as you saw today, Kyle Thompson, Stacy Washington from Stacy on the Right. As well, we had a few episodes with her. And so you want to make sure that you stay tuned into that. But dealing with the principality of a lie. See, we think that because principalities are invisible, that they're maneuverable. Because you don't see them. But look at this prince called a lie. Seated in high places, in the highest seats of government. Making lies laws. Man, that's a title. That'll pre Somebody write that down. That I, let me talk about that later. Making, thank you, elder. The elders are writing down. Making lies laws. That's what we have right now. What do we have? Making lies laws. The lie is the law now. It's whatever we say is true is law. Not whatever it is. It doesn't matter how much proof you have. What we're going to see with 2,000 mules. We're going to see the proof, the evidence, and the proverbial pudding. And guess what else we're going to see? What they did with it. 
because this was always around. This is always from the beginning of this investigation. These things have always been present. When lies become laws, we have this mess that we have now. The jab, the virus, everything else under the sun. When lies become laws. I want us to remember this. See, God is making this hurt us. I should say he's allowing this to hurt us. And it's hurting us bad. And it hasn't even begun to hurt us the way they want it to hurt us. And he's allowing this to happen because we've had time and time and time and generation and decade and year and year and, and prophets and apostles sounding the alarm and being shut down and thrown in social media jail and, and ostracized by the church community. I can't tell you how many people during the whole Trump campaign, especially the second go around, were very quiet on our front. There were people who used to call us, call Dr. Price mom, call us sis, sister, my sisters, we the sisters and the brothers. gone universally quiet people are smart enough not to maybe say something in public they take the coward's way out and just tip toward the back of the room of the kingdom and act like they don't know you anymore they used to take my phone calls and now i might get a text back oh sorry sis i'm so sorry i just you know oh i miss your call and everything is a text message now and then it's five days later ten days later and then not at all so you find out when you have to take a stand for jesus christ who is really on the Lord's side and who really has your back. And now folk creeping up out of their shells, all of a sudden commenting again on social media posts about things that don't matter, you know, whatever, or some things that do and, and reaching out. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, how are you doing? I'm doing good. And then this, oh, are we talking now? Oh, are we back in relationship now? And you know, my mouth. But of course, God, he does restrain me and he says, be diplomatic and keep it moving. All right, that's fine. I understand because I happen to be privileged enough to be with the voice of truth who also equips us and empowers us and mandates that we take a stand for God and not take the easy way out, which easy in the moment still has consequences later. Always remember that easy in the moment always has consequences later. Even if it's only you and God know you punked out and you'll know why later he isn't using you. Other people will begin to prophesy. I prophesy I open doors and you know, God's not going to open them because he shouldn't. Because when he needed you to be there for him five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you are not. And so when we had the opportunity to stand for him and for what he was saying and what he was doing, you, you did not. And now it's like, hey, it's time to cash in, storms blown over, controversies gone away. It becomes a remember when. Remember when? I mean, we can think about controversies in the kingdom in the 80s and 90s. Remember when so-and-so fell? Oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, yeah, it was all over the news. It's a thing of the past. And when this becomes a thing of the past, just like, though, remember Moses, he hit that rock when God said to speak to it. And it became a thing of Moses' past, but it was still very present for the Lord. Years go by, almost high. Promised land, look at that. So close, I could throw a rock at it. But I'm going in, right? I mean, you know, it's been a while, most high. Listen, man, we're not talking about this again. You will see it. You will not partake. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make you walk up these mountains. This man walked up more mountains, my God. You know Moses had to be strong at his old age because he was still walking up mountains. My God, walk up a mountain to die. I mean, Lord. And so he sure did. <laughs> I feel some kind of way about that. Yes, it's true. It's true. And he had to walk that mountain. And the Lord was like, 
I'm done with this issue. We're not coming back to it because that was the last and final time Moses disobeyed God, not the only time. And sometimes we act like the thing that cost us our inheritance is the only time we did it. But Moses's hot temper got him in trouble from the beginning to the end and ego. And now God recognizes him all throughout scripture, being meek, being his main guy. He could count on him for all these things and still did not enter into the promised land. And it's so interesting about Moses. You know, the Lord spent all week talking to me about Moses. He said, you know, you all are marveling at that Moses was at the, you know, 120 eyes, not them promised land. Not, he said, but Moses was on the mountain in my face with me for 80 days. That's one day for every year that it took for God to get him ready. He enters God's service at 80. He's 80 days in the face of the almighty. Now God has set up with his tantamount to an embassy. Mm -hmm. So they, they're on this mountaintop. Nobody sees what's up there. There's this cloud. And so the first 40 days, obviously Moses didn't get it. Came down, broke the man's tablets. Oops. Okay. Crushed him, etc. And people didn't even know there was a law. No. Talking about we've been judged for a law we didn't know exists. Right. Okay. So that was the second time. He goes up the second time and with the strength of the first time. Because you do not get in God's up close and personal presence and come back unchanged. Come on. Everyone that God has done great things with has used to immortalize and to use with him he turned them into himself yeah which is why moses dis was disqualified for hell when he died if god hasn't turned you into himself you need to spend a little more time with the holy ghost and you need to understand that you will lack the the intrinsics that you need to reflect him and to exert him see we are to exert the almighty not just represent not just reflect we're to exert him for you shall receive power when that the holy spirit has yeah. come upon you and then you will be witnesses back then witnesses were not just verbalizers they were demonstrators they were exhibitors they were displayers so he's saying you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, that's important. So Moses now, after the first time, he can take two tablets. God's like, go cut two tablets. Yeah. Because you broke the ones I did. Yeah. So go cut two tablets and to bring them back and drags them up the mountain. Right. And then I'm going to write on them again. Maybe you'll think more of them. See, yeah. first by grace than by works. And I tell my leaders that I said, you know, God gives you all of this good stuff when you start out and it's like, you're, you, you know, you're gliding on easy street and then you mess up and you try. And I'm telling you, all of you out there listening to me, every one of you can write me an incident where just before the mess up, you were as good as great, but you were doubtful. You were resentful. You were discontented and you wanted to test your limit. And then after the mess up, you get forgiveness. You know, we had the doctrine of the second chance, mm. which we Moses didn't get that. Did anybody notice Moses didn't get okay. the second chance? He got eternal life and still didn't get the second chance. Ooh. So Moses turns around and he has to climb the drag this up. It's harder now. See, before he just had to strut up the mountain 
and go be with God, not knowing what was going on, went into the cloud. And I mean, the fact that he can go up the first time was amazing at 80, at 80. But then he goes up the second time and he's got to go up carrying two stone tablets or stone blocks up this mountain alone. And he's got to keep God private so he can't tell anybody or take anybody to help him. You know, he doesn't have anybody to carry his, his briefcase and stuff like that. He's got to carry this alone. Because yeah. he blew it. First by grace. And you could talk about not by works all day long, but you have to put things in context and the context includes sequence. And so he goes up and he gets this new law. Now I'm getting the new law. This is the same law, but now it's on my handmade tablets, not on God made is me carved not god carved so even though god wrote on it he wrote on what the works of what made moses did because moses destroyed what he did uh -huh. so moses now gets it and i bet you they were a lot more precious to him when he had to bring them down that second time we're not okay y'all okay listen you all didn't know better but it still took 40 days it doesn't take the almighty 40 days to write 10 statements but it does take him, take him 40 days for what he wants to say to be cellulated in you, to be breathed in you and become part of your gene genetic makeup. And so all the time, and I know it because when God starts talking to me, it's like, you ever remember when God first starts telling you something? You have a hard time remembering it, don't you? And you're like, <laughs> didn't he say? And then you're yelling at yourself because you didn't write it. Right, right, right. And you couldn't write it because you were so caught up. Right. And you didn't have the tablets or the paper. And so the first time he says it, you're like, uh-huh, Holly, thank you. And then you walk away and you got mush. Your brain is like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. That's, that's the language I don't have. It's not normal to me. I have to generate some neurons. So you go back and the Lord just leaves it alone. And then you go back and he begins to recall it to you. And when he recalls it to you, your brain is like, aha, I remember that. Yes, it still has no logic for it, but it does have recall. Hmm. So you go back again. A few months later, in my case, sometimes a decade later, and all of a sudden you understand it, its implications and intentions all make perfect sense to you. You still, though, have nothing to act on. So it's not actionable as yet. That means it's not gotten into your, your thoughts, the synapse, your motor systems, and all of those, your nervous system. It hasn't gotten into that yet. But every time you go back and the Lord brings it back up, that it, more of it becomes part of you. And then you know it's there when you start thinking on it as he's thinking. Because in the beginning, when you start thinking on it, you think about how hard it is, how difficult God is, you know, how, oh, Lord, I, something else. I mean, I'm only human. You keep trying to tell the maker that you're only human like he didn't know that's what he made. And so, we, you know, we go through that over and over again until we get to a point that exactly as he meant, not just as he sent it, but exactly as he meant it, you get it.
and you and it's you. You don't have any more arguments with it. You don't have any more difficulties with it. You know, you don't have any more rejections and fears because you, you get the fear. Well, people are going to think I'm crazy. You know, that's our first one. And then my family's going to get mad. That's your second one. And then the third one, my, I might lose my job. When you have overcome all of those psychological or what I call solical ob obstacles and objections, you're ready. And many people don't get there. Many people, you, I'm giving you all of the things that would make you tap out mm -hmm. and drop out. I'm opting out on this. I'll pick a word that I like. And so you go in and you cherry pick it and you edit it. Oh, yes. And then you rephrase it and recompose it. And all of a sudden, it's, it's something like what God said. Ah. But it's not what he said. And then you justify it and you give it a new name. Instead of word of the Lord, it's paraphrased. You give it an adjective, paraphrased word of the Lord. Adapted word of the Lord. Edited word of the Lord. And whatever, but it gets an, it, it, a synopsis. Y'all love that one. And so it gets an adjective now because you have changed it. You have done what Moses has done. You've gone down there. You got the word of the Lord. You've gone down there. You field tested it with some people that you trust and love. They didn't like it. They rejected it. You tossed it. You crushed it. Whatever. You did that. And so, but, but nonetheless, Moses' strength was that he was in God's presence. God brought a portion of his world on top of that mountain. They, you know, Deuteronomy, he, Moses says in Deuteronomy, tens of thousands came with him. So for the entire duration of the Israel campaign in the wilderness, before they moved him to a tabernacle, God, Moses lived God's life for 80 days, 40 days, two times. Bound to change him if, if, because in him is life and that life was a light of men bound to change him. So evidently he was changed well we knew he was physiologically changed because people he had to do what wear a veil over his face because the glory that god cellulated into moses was so great and so um can you believe it, it just just radiant and diffusive that he had to hide it because not only could they not stand and look at him, what looking in his face is tantamount to looking in the face of God and what God would deliver if you stood in his face, Moses was emitting. Woo! Yeah. And all of them didn't deserve, didn't deserve those emissions. You're late. You lost then you caught up, weren't you? Okay. She's caught up. <laughs> So I need you to recognize that, that being in the presence of God, all of the times they say we're in his presence, we are changed. Don't get me wrong. There is the granular, vascular changes that happen every time we're in his presence. But the closer God gets, the more biotic and anatomical as well as neurological the change is. That is because, because God wants you to go past recognizing his presence to experiencing his feelings, to exhibiting his substance. Come on now. 
That is why Moses could be, God could tell Moses anything and he would do it because Moses and God agreed. When you get to the point that you don't have more questions in response to God's words, if he utters anything to you, then you have acceptance and reconciliation. <laughs> then you're okay. Well, because God is not, see, people think God talks all the time. He talks, but he talks through thought. Like I live in God's thoughts. We have very, very few difference of opinion on how he sees things because I'm, I approach God and I, I entreat the Lord as if he is alpha and omega and that omega is not happening, but omega is done. So God talks on done deals. Done deal. We hear as work in progress. That's the growth that you need to hear as done deals and to find out your portion of that work that's in progress. Hmm. What is your duty to this work? And he'll tell me, like he, he said, you know, he said to one of the prophets, I'm about to do something to Israel that's going to cause the ears of the nations to tingle. Yes. Yes. Now, most, most folks who don't know God, first of all, you're going to bind him up as the devil because it doesn't sound like it's good news. See, your, your good news fixation, okay? See, because your good news fixation will blunt your ability to hear God. It won't block it, but it'll blunt it. And then you'll push back on it because you'll try to get him to change what he has already set in motion, cellulated in creation and nature. You want him to change that because it doesn't fit your ideology. It doesn't fit your theology. It doesn't fit your doctrine. So you want him to change it. So then you'll walk around, speak to me, Lord. You love, you, you love those songs. Speak to me, Lord, because they're always futuristic. <laughs> you got, oh, she said, I got some more bells. Oh, Lord, they found the old bells. Who did that? They, they found all the, the other studio bells. They found them. You're in trouble. <laughs> you are so in trouble. She got buzzers and and so but but I want to say this. She got two buzzers. She's got more bells than I have. I'm glad I got no, I got three, two, and a gavel. That's it. Yeah. Oh, you're chief. You're I'm a chief. chief. I'm, chief. I'm, I'm always chief. I'm, I'm a chief. And I want you to reckon you're asking God to speak to you, but you will not submit to God to be primed and conditioned to throw off what you have been thought told that God's thoughts to hear his thoughts. You keep editing the almighty. You keep correcting his words. You keep trying to modify his thoughts so that they fit your incompatible soul. See, I wanted, I, I talked to God and these are the things oh I said. God. I love this man. You know, he's my honey man. And I tell, and God, is, the closer you get to God, the harder God seems because God is perfect. So when you get up to him and you're looking for soft, cuddly, tuddly, teddy bear Jesus, you're like, no, no, that's, no, he said, that's what I have for my infants. You know, you give your infants the teddy bear version. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. See? That is Mommy loves you. That's it. Could, and you go, could you, And see, we still want, could you, could you, You're 90 years old in the Lord. Talk about, could you, could you, Your arthritis couldn't even stand it. Could you, could you,
<laughs> Couldn't even stand it. Could you? Not, not, no, baby. We cannot hardly touch you to put your little ointment on. So you want God to come and be the kudji kudji kud like your pastor did. See, pastors trained this body not to hear the Almighty. Pastors did this. They didn't mean to. I will not assume that they meant to. But I tell you what, if you don't mean to be the best, then you mean to be less. And if you mean to be the best, you work at removing everything that could affect that or prevent it. So you want God to talk and you want him to speak according to how your pastor sounded. Well, my pastor said God is a good God. Just because God kills criminals does not make him a bad God. There we go. Bring on demand. See, you act like God should not kill problems. And yet you want him to kill viruses. You want him to kill diseases. You want him to do that, but he should not kill them that are actually full grown and anatomical problems and viruses. You want God to let the killer go free so that everybody who else who's available, they can have any rampage they want. You want God to ignore the fact that a family is without a loved one and the future is without a potential for your doctrine's sake. Your doctrine. For the sake of your doctrine. Not that God shouldn't have exterminators. You got exterminators. I want you to know. And I need my exterminator to come every spring and every fall. I don't need him to take time off. Because you know what? The pestilence be outnumbering me. It doesn't take much for an anthill to outnumber you. My God. So you cannot be life if you can't control what will erode it and what will impede it. So he says, I'm all things. Now, I, I love the saints that love to write me and tell me you never saw it. And you got the little good news Bible, well, Psalms and Proverbs. You don't have anything else. Okay. So I like that. I really do. Like I said, I could not sit in this seat today had I not had to do two things. And that is learn this gospel and then live it. See, because you don't know it if you haven't lived it. I don't care what anybody tells you because this is the living word. That's why you know it's biotic because it's a living word. We can call it a biotic word. We can call it an anatomic word. We can call it a cellulated word. Not just assimilated, but cellulated. You need the cells to assimilate. And so, and I hope that I can get this one because God, he said, um, but I, I make peace. And I create calamity. You think chaos is an independent agent? Come on, come on. Chaos is not an independent agent. Okay, I want you to get this because see, all of this ends up being the strains and the strands uh, that that granulate and and vasculate pro prophecy because it's physical. It's physical. It's not just verbal. It's also vino, it's in your veins, it's how we do it. That When you think about it, and I'm so glad, it took me 40 years from writing construction, constructing the contemporary prophet, till two years ago to understand what I wrote. Because I kept everything on tablets of stone. My mind. 
I my concept was tablets of stone. My because as far as I was concerned, it was the pages of this Bible. And every now and then the Holy Ghost did a little something. And it wasn't until I recognized that I wrote that even though he fell, Elisha's bones maintain the vitality, the life power of the Almighty. That means it was in his marrow. That means it was in his blood. So I can teach cellulite. I can teach biotic over the, I can teach the constitutional Christian over the institutional Christian. Thank you. Come in. (laughs) You need to understand if we're looking at God's future, we're going back to God's eternity. We're going back to the foundation of the world. Where Abram did not have a church board. He did not even have a kingdom. He did not have a body of laws or policy because he was the law. See, back then they knew that if it was the person, then what came from the person was the extension and dissemination. That's where the word came from, dissemination of the thing, of what the person is. We're arguing about what is America because we think that Constitution was was, was just put on paper. The Constitution was in those men and their conclusions from their consults and their collaboration. They sketch a being or a body that would become the same material. One organ. America should have one organ, one heart, not 500. One organ, because if we are made a fictitious being, then we ought not to have all that. Because if you have all that going inside your being, you are sick, you are cancerous, you're spasmatic, you're, you're, you're you know, uh, dysfunctional. So in God's realm, there is no counsel to tell him what to do. There's a counsel to let you know what he's done. So we look at these 24 elders and they bow into Jesus. But aren't you the elder? 24 of you. But this man goes out as the firstborn little boy kid, the firstborn kid comes back sovereign of sovereigns, taking down nations and all of the deities that thought they had re- retaken or represented him from his world. He comes back wearing the triumph, the crowns on his head. This is the God of so-and-so. I got him. This is the God of so-and-so. See, I took him. See, this is the deity that did so-and-so. This is the spirit of that. This is the goddess of that. And he's wearing him in the crown. I'm wearing you as your horns. The horns representing I took your strength. Yes, yes, yes. Your strength is now my strength. Which is what it has been in all these other planets, but now it applies to earth. You can't lead for God if you don't have these archetypical, supernal truths permeating your being. So when he comes back, he comes to earth and he goes back home, 
he comes back and they're selling all creation because all creation was affected. See, yeah. the problem is with the evangelical movement, it was that they teach that only humans were affected. Come on. Come on. They don't teach that the Lord lost his entire population to this insemination of this devil. They don't teach you that. Yet scripture says it. Scripture says that Jesus Christ reconciled everything that was in heaven and on earth and in the sea. He says that he has a population in the heavens that he's also got to rapture with the church. But you have to cellulate. You can't just cogitate. In other words, you have to you have to be God's essence, his substance to think his thoughts as he would think them. Our first thing is to assume that human ignorance takes precedence over God's wisdom. So we read a scripture and I get upset if my church did it. I, they, I promise you, I would act so bad. They would honestly wonder if Jesus was still in me. <laughs> my teachers cannot go and decide that the word is so hard. We're going to change it first and then feed it. You're not going to change the recipe and then feed it as the original. So your naivety is not first priority. God's truth and reality is. Because nobody alters things just because you came in. Your company does not hire you and then alter everything because you have a problem acclimated. They tell you, we have some, okay, we're going to, we have some onboarding, little orientation have some seminars, and they don't change a word of the manual that they give you to learn. Not a word. They're like, if you belong to us, you will fit in. That's absolutely right. You will adapt. If you don't adapt, adapt, you can't adjust. So you will adapt, and then you will adopt, adapt, and adjust. That's how we teach it here. First of all, you're going to adapt. This is the word of the Lord. It's written. It's what he's used. We can look at all of these signs and all of these um, um, historical and traditional things, and they work. If it's worked this long, it should work for you, or you are an outcast, or you are a misfit. I'm not, I'm not upset about either one, and that's not a bad thing. So when people come, and I often get people who come to me, they love my charisma, they love my mind, my brain. They come here and they think that I'm just putting on a show every Thursday. Ah. (laughs) I'm role playing. Ah. Because they don't understand the significance of what it is to have cellulated and become the very person of Jesus Christ. See, we don't want to be the person of Jesus Christ. We just want to know our purpose from him and our purpose in him. Am I doing it right? You're doing it. Do it. Because people ask me, Dr. Price, how do you become who you are? The first thing, I I made some principles. I've got principle rules, and God honored everyone. First of all, I tell God, I'm not going to act as if you're not Alpha and Omega. I'm going to uh, respond to you as if you are the cause and effect, the beginning and everything in between, up to Omega. So when he gives me a statement and he gives me a prophecy, I don't just run because it fits the time. I I, I weigh it against the sequence and the consequences that will bring us to what he said is the ultimate end. 
So that's my first thing. I do not act as if he takes time off. I never act as if God is off on vacation when I want to do something that he doesn't approve of or doesn't fit him. Now, the next thing is I never, ever, ever tell God I disapprove of what he's saying. I also don't cop out by saying the writers and the, the translators and interpreters because I treat God as if the Holy Ghost is here to see to it that whether print delivers or not, the spirit of God delivers truth. The spirit of God in a spirit is the spirit of truth. So I always know the Holy Spirit is the guardian of whatever comes out of God's mouth and whatever happened in his world that's being reported here. You don't hear people talk about the Holy Ghost. Because if they did, we wouldn't be where we are. Right. Right. True. True. The Holy Spirit is to make you feel good in the morning. Good. Okay? <laughs> to give you some gifts. Yes. Got to give you some gifts. Yes, yes. Come on now. To get you out of trouble when you're there, more as Jesus, invisible than Holy Spirit, omniscient, omnipresent. You see what I'm trying to tell you? And so uh, you have to recognize, I, I understand that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a, he's not a temp. He's not an intern. So, uh, so I treat him as God because he's God. He is God all over the place. He's God everywhere. So he is every cell of God, every organ of God, every being of God. He is God almighty. And when you get saved, you get plugged in to that space that is empty with your name on it. So I don't treat God as if he is not around. I treat him as if I, and he taught me that when I asked him about something, I said, well, where were you when so-and-so was happening? Because after I was taking him to task. Sure. Sure, you know, I'm just, you come with your answer to me. And he shocked me with his answer. And I said, well, where were you? And he said, I was there. See, we don't want to know that. It's easier to think that Satan bound God up and put him in a closet while he went on a rampage than to realize that God was there and didn't stop him. That is maturity. That is a hard place. But that is the place only those who cellulated him, only those who have, be, have become him understand. Because in the midst of that, when he said, I was there, because when God speaks a word, he doesn't speak it in our terms. In other words, he doesn't speak it by how we hear. He doesn't, he's not lock himself into the picture that comes to our minds when he speaks. But when God speaks a word, it is literally a burst of cells, a burst of light, a burst of, and all of that light goes into our consciousness, goes into our being, so that when he said, I was there, it realization hits us. See, we don't realize, we don't like realizing who and what God is. Right. We don't want to know that Jesus was standing there watching this happen to our little boo-boo. Because the next logical question is, why didn't you do something? And people drop out on God on that question right there. If you're a good God, why do we have death in the world? And God's word to you is if you're a good human, why are you killing people? So if I'm supposed to be good to present, to prevent death, why are you carrying it out? Why do you have systems in place? Why did you vote in laws to kill people? Nobody in America can talk to God about people dying until you clean up abortion. Come on. Yeah. Come on. 
When you clean up abortion, then you have a leg to stand on. Otherwise, shut your mouth that your baby died too. Shut your mouth that you lost your mama and your dad. Because let me tell you something. Those babies were future mamas and dads. They were future politicians. They were future generations. When y'all talk to God like that, and it it irks me when Christians do it. I say, are you kidding? We slaughtering all these kids. And many of you all who are now adults did it too. You just got saved and got forgiven. You thought forgiving meant forgetting. If God forget, then he can't send anybody to hell. So forgiveness and forgetting ain't the same thing. I just want to say that. When God forgives, he forgets. Then nobody's going to hell because he won't remember who he forgave and who he should. <laughs> okay. You know, he forgot. He'll forget why he put that mark on Cain's head and what it meant. Like. Why does he have that strange? What is that? Who did that to you? So that see, we have a lot of pastoral, um, I want to say, mitigators, so that you don't leave Christ because we don't want you to be so afraid of Him that you won't stay with Him. But my Bible say that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You need to fear Him who holds your life in His hands. So you all, and I'm telling you, because see, I like being who I am because I told you, I have assimilated, I'm cellulating this man. These are his thoughts. He said, how dare they ask me about their child and they don't care about the millions that I won't have. Don't ask me about what happened. You released the tragedy of that blood sacrifice in your nation. You did that. And when you shed innocent blood, there is a charge on the land. The land is now doing its job because humans who were over it did not. So I don't act as if God made a mistake because I know God can't make a mistake. Because if he did, he then he can't judge us for being errant. So he didn't make a mistake. And I'll tell you about that as we go down the line. I don't treat him like that. When he tells me when I when something happens and I ask him, when, like that time I asked him, well, well, where were you? He said, I was there. God will never lie. He cannot lie. Because if he does, then he has surrendered himself to the father of lies. Mm-hmm. So God can't lie. Now, you may not figure out his truth. God's very, he's very enigmatic. I'm, hallelujah. You know, God say three things and you think you you got it. And 10 years later, you realize you didn't have it because you didn't biologize it. You theologized it. So that is why if God can keep bringing things back to your memory, guess what that means? That means that God is biotic in you. Because your memory is part of your biology. It's part of your, uh, your neurology. It's part of your anatomy. So if he can get, recall something 10, 15 years ago, that means it didn't just lodge in your memory. Yeah. And even if it did, that memory had to go through a physiological process, a solical process, a spiritual process to etch itself in your database, in your recall. You think you know. You're walking around having all of these conversations about how God thinks. You don't have a clue. That's why I say mind of Christ, thoughts of God. Another thing that assures that God and I stay in good state instead is that when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. And I don't feel like being wrong means I'm going to hell. Most people's ego is too great for them to repent. 
They would rather justify it with lies and excuses and, 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 and blaming and fault finding. But the mature saint who thinks like God understands there's none perfect but one. Are they flowing with me? Oh, yeah. There's none perfect but one. So you need to recognize that mistakes are in the equation and they're accounted for. But what God wants you to do to earn your place in his world is to recognize what isn't him. Understand that it's a mistake. Source out the reason that it happened and you, it, you accepted it. Acknowledge it. Repent. And then let him purge it with the blood. The blood is the soul's eraser. All right. Got excited? Did you get excited? Okay. You know, she, she just pray for her. Without you. <laughs> Please pray. So you need to recognize the blood, everything that happens to the body gets its start in the blood, in the bloodline. We've taught you that your soul produces the blood that your body takes up. And that, that there is that whole supply, demand, delivery, uh, extraction system that happens between the soul and the body. Now, we've taught you that. I've given that to you. We got some, whatever. I got people that have find some teachings. Huh? Is it in Bipsai? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Is that a course? Yes, ma'am. I mean, is that a course they can take or is it part of a program? Yes, it's a standalone. Okay. You want to, okay, so I want you to go. Well, hey, listen, my team is good. Yeah. My team is so good, I need orientation. <laughs> <laughs> Every at least once a week. I gotta I said we don't do I, I love it with, with Ashley. I say, well, you know, we could do so Dr. Price, we haven't done that in years. We haven't? We have not like that. <laughs> really? When did we stop doing it? Years. Okay. <laughs> okay. But we have, if you want to find out this teaching. I strongly urge you to go and take our self-study course. It should be up by now because my team is pretty good. And so that, go and enroll in that course, that self-study, to tell you how the soul gets blood to the body. And that is why the blood of Jesus' soul. Yes. You like that? Mm -hmm. Just a minute. The blood of Jesus' soul nourishes and supplies his body. Mm. And if you're in him, then you're getting his blood supply. Mama. And everything that blood does in the physical body, it does in his ecclesia, his soma, if you will. See, this is why you couldn't fight. You couldn't defend yourself from blah, blah, blah. So those are just some of the things that I do. When we come back, we're going to talk about. Do you remember what we're going to talk about? Yes. What are we going to talk about? These, the uh, mental health of the prophet. Ah, because we talked about the pedigree. Now we're going to talk about the mental health. I just want you to know we're going to do that. And, and remember, we did the slide on the case study, and so we'll, we might put it up again at the end. But we're going to take our commercial break, and then we'll come back and talk about the mental health of the prophet, the prophesier, and the talebearer. Mark your calendars for June 15th through the 18th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary hosts her annual Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. This year's theme is the station of the Prophet in God's future, unlocking the future of the Almighty with the key of prophecy. Keynote speakers include Prophet Elizabeth Tai M. Fook, Prophet C.T. Johnson, Assistant Chief Prophet Angela Powers, and Chief Prophet Tala Price, and Chief Apostle Paula Price. If you are an ordained prophet, Register for Dr. Price's Private Prophets Luncheon. Register your teenagers for our youth conference. Our youth theme is Identity the Key to Destiny, Redeeming This Generation. Visit www.drpaulaaprice.com to register individuals, teens and groups today. And continue to pray for the technological spirits in the world. <laughs> I, um, but I talked to you. We started this journey with Prophecy Clinic. And the reason that I did it is because we need to deal with the cases of God's historical prophetic and divine communications uh, eras in today's time. So if you look on your screen, Prophetic Ed, we will be talking about that quite a bit leading up to the event, but a Prophetic Ed is, prof is our, our institute agency. In other words, we're talking about institutional prophets being set up at, as agents throughout the world. And that, that Prophetic Ed exists to train, equip, arm, and mantle them. What, what we don't realize is that there is a lot going on that is based on freestyle prophets. Oh, yeah, come on. See, freestyle prophetics can only exist when you have a very narrow definition and a very narrow explanation of the office, its function, or its disciplines. That's good. Many times we call the prophetic is just a function. You're probably right, but the entire spectrum of God's mouth to human ears is called a discipline. Jesus came to disciple, not just functionalize as a prophet. And so what our goal is, is to put the word of the Lord within reach of every single person in the planet with a credible, and first of all, authentic, credible, tried and true prophet who is precise and accurate. We don't even know what that is. And, and having done that, you know, my book somewhere around here. Oh, here it is. I'm seeing it. Look at that stuff. It's not moving. Or at least it's not hiding. <laughs> this book 
Assessing your prophetic self is something you need to have. I am not just suggesting. I am not just recommending. I am urging you and to get it and read it. Don't get it and let the devil of illiteracy tell you it's too deep. See, devils are illiterate too. That is why they make illiterate people. As the spirit, so goes the flesh. So illiterate devils will tell you you don't want to read. Illiterate devils will tell you you can't read. Now they can read your spirit. They can read your, your, lack of a better word, your essence. Your emission is a better word. They can read that by interpreting all of the things that they've experienced and encountered over the millennia. But understand, ignorant devils will tell you you don't need to read. When people take over nations, the first thing they do is release that spirit of illiteracy. Wow. So that the people cannot find out intellectually what they're doing. So don't do that. If you have this book, go and beat down your devil of illiteracy and go and read this book because there's something in it. And for those spirits to block you and blind you that much, there is something in there that they know by instinct and by experience you're going to get that's going to wound them if not cripple them in your life. Wow. So you need this book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self. Uh, it's, and it's it's not just for prophets because there are areas in here that tell you that what God is and what he's doing. The Holy Spirit divine assessment, the God, the Godhead's omnipresent agent. You need to read this 25 Holy Spirit fundamentals. That's on, for those of you who have the book. That's on page 76. So you can go home and read the 25 Holy Spirit fundamentals. I want you to know keeping prophecy current. That's a whole other piece there. Prophecy is not a divine communication standalone. You need to know that. Here's a page, page 65, appreciating prophecy. Okay, why divine communications? And page uh, 57, everyone can prophesy. You need to know, but you need to know if you're prophesying or informing, just intuiting, predicting, or profit lying. Oh. Oh. Put it in there. Got to say it. In the list. All, all creation is prophecy encoded. You should know that. And this pairs well with divine communications, which is another book. And then we have here active prophecy authentication. This is a really good one. And this is just, just quick so I can get back to the, the brain. If none of the prophecy authentication suggested is feasible for you, seek the Lord in prayer to take control of your prophecy authentication before wholly committing your faith to it. You need to make sure God said what people said and you need to find it and you need to find it going by his character, by his history, by his word. The Bible said the scriptures are our examples. Right. That means that they're a template. That means they're specimens. That means that they're a demonstration and and, and, and we can go on. You know, I get excited. But anyhow, I'm excited. And it says, um, search out a seasoned prophecy authenticator with credentials you trust to point you in the right direction. That's what Prophetic Ed does. We have seasoned, educated, and credentialed 
prophecy, prophecy authenticators. Our prophets can tell you that. No, that's not God. I have sat in prophecy meetings and I can literally point out that that didn't come from God. That came from the flesh. That was an assumption. How do I know that? Well, I have to know the trait. I have to know the earmarks of the true and the false. You have to know that this is your life. They're giving you prophecy as if it's actionable and maybe it ought to be deactivated. Not activated. Some prophecies you have, you need to deactivate them or expire them in your life. There's more. You need this book. Get this book. And if you get it with the divine communications, then you get a 5% discount on the pair. I love my tent. I told you I got it. Man, I'm telling you, I'm keeping you people. I'm praying for y'all. I pray for y'all to get rich, happy, everything else. I got. I'm praying for y'all. Y'all too good, baby. Woo, Jesus. Divine communications. Prophecy. God's divine communications media. On the back, how does prophecy work? So on the back, you need this pair. Many infiltrations color your view or reaction to the prophetic. Using modern technology analogies, Dr. Price helps you understand how prophecy works, why God uses prophecy to communicate, and how you can begin to dismantle the hidden defenses stunting your prophetic growth. Get them together, you get a 5% discount on the pair. Order now. Now, if you want another 3%, you'll do it while you're watching my show. When show's gone, deal's gone. All right? You needed to know that. Did you all like that? How many of you all out there have the pair? Because you need the pair. Look at that. Most of my audience raised their hand. Most? Who Who I didn't get a hand from? Okay. <laughs> Who did I get a hand from? <laughs> oh, the new girl. Oh, yeah. Well, you're you're forgiven, baby. You're forgiven. But you need the pair. This tells you what prophecy is. This tells you how to vet it. Ooh, yeah, it's good. So we got what? What prophecy and, is and how to vet it? Okay. Fact and fix. Fact and fix. Fact and fix. Amen. Make sure you get this and you definitely want to get it when you're coming in June. You want to come in June. Do not assume we are like every other prophetic. I don't write like anybody else so you, and I don't talk like anybody else. So I guess it stands to reason that I do not host events like everybody else. You need it right now. God's future is gearing up. There are things that he's doing, things that he wants to do that are happening, and he starts with prophets. That's why I'm excited about this year's event, because we are the prophets he's starting with. God is tuning up prophets. He's gearing them up. He's vetting them. He is also chastening them. You're going to see a lot of prophets get chastened over the next six months, and that chastening will be severe. Because wisdom in Proverbs says, he who is often corrected and hardens his heart will fall into calamity and that without remedy. Just wanted to say, you want to be here in June. You want to bring a group of people in June. And if you are a leader, a thought leader, a prophetic leader, governmental, political leader, 
please sign up for the luncheon because what I will say there, I will not say elsewhere. Moving on. Now, I like this scripture at the bottom, and I use it a lot. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and, and by a prophet, he was guarded or preserved, rescued or saved. So this is an ongoing work. That means that if you're a prophet and God use you to bring something in existence or to deliver it so that he can have it, it stays in your care forever. So this, I just, I don't know what to tell you. I just dropped the word. You drop your word in the toilet. Because half of these words don't deserve anything else but a flush. Now, that's not everyone. Please don't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Amen, amen, amen. It's the word. You've got all of these slogans for doing a bad job badly. So... Today, we have crises. We've got um, prophet wars and battle. I don't do prophet wars because I sit at the high seat. And when you sit at the high seat, you're the answer. You are not the question and the antagonist. Wow. So if you're dealing with prophetic antagonism, you need to understand that you're not dealing with the office and you're not dealing with the authentic because authentic prophets are about peace. Even if our words have to do with the calamity in the world, in me, Jesus defined it for us. He said, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but cheer up, get happy. So I have the answers. And I have the answers because I, I, I took the questions and I took God's answer without meshing it with theology. I have nothing against it. I do that very well. My, my whole uh, before the garden is an apostolic prophetic theology because we didn't have it. We didn't have anything that told us how to think. And since we are before time began, we have to have that before time began backstory for our backdrop. So I am telling you, this era that we're in is because God is breaking down the prophetic institution that was built on sand. Where do you find sand? On the seashore. Right. And what is the seashore? Full of all kinds of critters. All kinds of mess. He said, but build your house on the rock. So the institution that we have was not built on the rock. The office is often is always built on the rock. The gift is always built on the sand, which is the individual. Wow. How you see it. Well, that's how you see it. When they start talking to me like that, I'm not interested because we don't have a common thing. We got your heart and sentiments trying to literally dismantle the office and the institution that has predated you and been around since Abel. See, we, we're not going to agree. I'm not having those conversations. When people write that stupid stuff, I just say dumb. Sometimes I ban them. Sometimes I just dump it and give them another shot. Now, here's something I want you to listen to. Listen to me very carefully. I'm about to make a very significant dis distinction. I just read to you Hosea 12, 13. Now, if I pair Hosea 12, 13 with Hosea 12, 10. It's important that we get that cleared up because they're uh, making a statement that's going to help a lot of you who are teachers and educators and trainers or mentors. A prophetic mentor has a huge weighty responsibility. 
And I know because I've been mentoring for like ever. And, you know, they get it right as a mentee. You, you get so excited. You go to God. Hey, God, they got it right. Three weeks later. Oh, Lord. Okay. So I want you to see. I want you to mark these as, listen to me, profit office pillars. I want you to mark these. And I'm going to, from time to time, flag them. Um, 1210, I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry or of the prophets. Now, I talked to you before, that word ministry is yod, and it should have been translated hand of the prophet, which would make it fit in the fivefold. By the hand of the prophets. And then we go down to 13. And by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. And by a prophet, he was preserved. There is something very powerful being phrased there. Very, very powerful. If you look at Numbers 12, 6, it tells you that there is, God has specific ways that he views the prophet. Yeah. He is very specific. He's not walking around saying, oh, I wonder. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I, nope. Mm -mm. He said about Jeremiah, before I put you in the womb, you were a prophet. That means I put every instinct. I put every attribute. I put everything spiritual, everything solical, everything mental. All of your genetics were made a prophet before I formed you in the womb. That means before your mama met your daddy. You know, sometimes you got to make things clear for folks. <laughs> Now, 12.6. Now, Moses had relatives. Yeah. Yeah. All of you all who have relatives, y'all need to pray. And so, in 12.6 is, is the story of Moses, of Miriam, and Aaron. Now, it's really interesting that they often said Aaron and Miriam. But this time, he says Miriam and Aaron. Why? Because Miriam is a girl. She's a woman. And she got a problem with her new sister-in-law. Okay, see, so you need somebody to give you that backstory because all of these translations in the world would not have told you that. So Miriam did not like her new sister-in-law. Aaron didn't like, didn't like his brother. So they had a family sibling gossip fest. Moses, because he married, because of the Ethiopian, now the man has been alone. His wife left him, took his two children. This guy has stood for God, been pure, holy, faithful, and he God finally gives him a companion, and the relatives hate it. Can't trust the relative. And so, that's just me. And so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? So they couldn't fight his marriage, but God is letting you know their motive was the envy of the of marriage. He said, so all of a sudden, they're back to whatever. So the sister and the brother, see, your siblings are the ones that's going to definitely give you the most difficult time. Sibling rivalry is an innate. They're going to tell you that you aren't all of that. They're going to say they're just as good as you. This is what this one is. And so it, it, has he not spoken also by us? So he's saying, they're saying, we're all prophets. Yeah, but you're not all Moses. Come on. Well, we're talking about Aaron building a calf Come on now. while Moses is going to get the government. So 
also and the Lord so they I mean they were at it you could tell them that I mean hasn't he also spoken by us and the Lord heard it now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth now for God to say that that means that Moses number one was specially built to be as meek as God needed him to be and that God classed him with Job he said, now, Job was righteous and Moses is meek. Now, Moses is exhibiting power like you would not, like an alien. He's like alien power. See, split, yeah. duck, you okay? Snake, eat other snakes. Come on here. Yeah. Talk about being wise as serpents. When we're wise as serpents, we're eating their snakes. So, anyhow. She said, I couldn't just roll on. <laughs> Okay, so then, because that's what they think they are, so then God heard them, and he was like, what? And the Lord spake, and suddenly to Moses, and to Aaron, and to Miriam, come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of congregation, and the three came out. Now, we don't know if they were in the same room, or if he just spoke to them, those two over there gossiping, and, and, and whatever, and Moses doing his ministry. It's more likely that is the case. He said, but y'all coming to this meeting because y'all the three leaders. You know how they say God never used a woman? Y'all the three leaders. Okay. And so, and the Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forth. So seriously, they were the issue. And so he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. Does anybody hear that? But this is what he said. My servant Moses, not so, who is faithful in all mine house. That is the difference between an apostle and a prophet. Okay? Duty versus dominion. And I don't mean dominion like prophets don't have it. That's not true. I'm saying this is your dispensation. This is how they work. I communicate with you one way, but I interact with Moses in a different way. And so he said, with him, I speak mouth to mouth. Uh, apparently, now this is where it really gets good. Apparently, and not in dark speeches and similitudes of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, why are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So you want to mess over your sister and your brother. And God doesn't look at it like that. The minute God calls people into his service and they answer, you're no longer sister and brother in that classic sense or in the native sense. You now belong to that or what called you to that which you've answered. So you have vacated the family stream. So he said, so how come y'all weren't scared? And, and you think about it, he's like, well, I don't understand. Because if you don't have anybody, to, I don't care how many translations they give you, if you don't have anybody to make you understand that God is talking about, I brought him to my own world. Forty times, 40 days twice. I gave him everything that it causes you to exist, that gave you reason to exist. I gave him 
not just the Ten Commandments. I gave him the whole nation of Israel, first nomadic and later national. I put that Moses and I laid out the plan. I blueprinted him that he can architect everything. I gave him every pattern. I didn't give you but a vision and a word. And your mission to back him. That's your mission. And we deal with that. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here saying, are you kidding me? You don't. I was talking with someone yesterday and they said, does anybody know you did all of this? I promise you, she said, do they know that you have this much going on that you built this much? I said, no, because all they want to do is argue theology and tit for tat and jots and tittles. Telling me, but we need this. I have that. When we want to get somebody to do this, I've got that. We want to do this. We already laid that out. We want to. I have a staff that we have laid. I said, I want you to come and spend a day with us in our presentations because I am not starting from ground zero. My team has built these things infrastructurally. And I'm excited about that. And they've been managing them, et cetera. And because people come in and all they do is hear me speak and they've been taught that the measure of a minister's success is their charismatic, their speech, and their volume, their number of people. They have no idea that we have folks who gather folks for decades with nowhere to take them. Nowhere. So they came to you, but you've got nowhere to take them and nowhere to place them and nothing to engage them in the house of the Lord. See, that's what the, God's attitude was with them. You, you all did this. Aaron, you built that nasty calf. So how are you sitting here talking about whatever? Okay. And Miriam, you've been a nasty sister, picking and envying and rivaling him all the time. So you don't see, see you don't want to hear the human experience because you need the theological treatise. I'm getting, I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. So he's saying, I talk, I talk to Moses in ways I don't talk to anybody else. I talk to David in ways I didn't talk to Saul. I talk to Deborah in ways that I did not talk to the men who resented her ministry, her office, her presidency, because her judgeship was the equivalent thereof. I talked to Josiah in ways I never talked to the others. He was hot because I, he said, I talked to Solomon in ways that I didn't talk to most kings. And you're going to turn on me like this? You're going to sell me out for a bunch of women? I was nice. You did. I was very nice because, you know, I'm on to share their vote. You were family friendly. Family friendly. I'm trying. Sometimes I get caught up in my blunt speech. You know, and family friendly. And sometimes I think your family needs to know how not to mess up with God. They need to know how not to mess up with God. So we go back now and you understand what Hosea 12, 10 and 13 mean. But they are all dealing with the office and a high officer at that. But when we go to Amos, surely the Lord does nothing except he reveal his secret to his servants, the prophets. That's the difference between the threefold and the fivefold. He's dealing with the gift. Amos told you, I was not a prophet. Right. 
I wasn't I wasn't trying to be a prophet. I wasn't trying to be son. I wasn't going to classes. I didn't take some prophetic. I don't even have any prophetic books. And yet here, <laughs> here I am prophesying to a king that's going to try to kill me for doing it. And so you have to understand that there is a way that God interacts with prophets that he doesn't interact with prophesiers. Mm-hmm. And then there's a way that he interact with the, the, the when you say some, a, a chief, Moses was chief because he carried the fullness of what God was doing. His, he embodied it. He expressed it. He exuded it. He then exhibited it. And then he exerted it. You, he didn't just stand up and give a word. Do you realize as far as God is concerned, once they got out in the wilderness, the first Moses' first prophecy was the Ten Commandments, the law. Up until then, he prophesied and he, you know, to Pharaoh, um, you're going to let these people go. I'm not letting anybody go. And, and Moses is in their history. See, there are some whole lot of things that we don't have. Moses is in Egypt's history. As a heir apparent. And now he's talking about, I'm going to go back to my native and we're going, we're going, we're going, I'm getting these people out. So when we go on, but then there's a way that God talks to prophets. You don't find out about that until you read Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3 tells you where God pulls prophets in a, a, a secret court or a secret chambers meeting where he shows them all that's going to take place and their role in it. See, when you ask these prophets what God calls them to do, I can bet you the majority of them, not all, but I can bet you even estimate that at least 80% of them will tell you something that just revolves around them mouthing. Right. Seeing and saying, because to them, that's what the prophetic is. Seeing and saying, not with God. When you look, think about Zechariah, I told you God gives prophets projects. Moses came away with a project. Joshua came away with a project. And they were all about defeating God's enemies and displacing them with his realm. Mm. Mm. When you read um, about Haggai, you read about them um, in uh, Nehemiah, they talk about what? The prophets, same Zechariah, who was in this private meeting is now coming back saying, now the Lord is getting ready to do this. The Lord's going to do that on and on and on. You need to read those things. So it's important looking at the screen because I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the end, but looking at the screen, it is very important that you recognize and discern the difference between a prophesier and a prophet because you're fighting prophets because of what prophesiers have misdone or mishandled. You're fighting the institution that should have been the guardian and the authenticator because you don't like what some prophesier said or how some prophesier spoke or did this or that. So do you look at my screen? Isn't that nice? We got our prophecy clinic. Without a vision, people perish. Without a vision. Because prophetic ed will have institute agencies around the globe. That will happen in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will happen. I decree it, declare it, and I'm ready to make it so. 
because that's a project for me. See, I prophesy my project. So prophecy clinic. Question one, should the testifier, storyteller, reporter, or talebearer's state of mind matter? Should the following be taken into consideration? Diluted testimony as an assessment, should it be assessed? Naive, inexperienced, underexposed criticism? Errant reports, reports, misguided motives, impulsive blurts? And then question two, how much weight should the mental state factor into divine communications? This is a clinic. We said clinic, see, prophecy clinic. So these are some of the things that we need to look at. Obviously, we will revisit this because we won't be able to get it all out. But you need to know where God is. Now, Jesus has a way of letting us know what the prophet is with him. Because remember, Jesus came as a prophet, not just Messiah. Because God starts everything as a prophet. He could not qualify for Messiahship. He couldn't qualify for his Davidic lineage. He couldn't qualify for the Savior. He couldn't qualify for the sacrifice, the Redeemer. He couldn't do any of that until he was established and he launched this thing as a prophet because God starts everything with a prophet. David is called prophet, priest, and king. He wasn't called king, prophet, priest. King, priest, prophet. He was called prophet, priest, and king because before he got to be the prophet, of the king, rather, he had to be established as the voice of God to the nation. Once he was accepted as the voice of God, then he became the ministrant of God and the ministrant of the words of that voice. The two together, having been mastered, saw to it that he could be king. So here, a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch will bear fruit from his roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He won't judge by what his eyes see nor decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy and decide with equity for earth's poor. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the wicked he will will be uh, excuse me and the wicked will be killed with the breath of his lips righteousness will be the sash around his loins and faithfulness in the belt around his leg now if this is not part of your prophetic education scripture library archives you have missed it you're not producing prophets. You're producing prophesiers. Today, I put a challenge before you. Can you decide or discern when you're producing a prophet versus a prophesier? And if you do, do you have separate readiness tracks for them? So in coming to the end of this, the question and you all can answer it all week long and discuss it. Sit down and discuss it and, and, and let us know. How does it look? What is your discussion doing? How does it turn out? Did your, what did your people say? Did you put it to your own people? 
And so the question is, should the following be taken into consideration? Diluted testimony, naive inexperience, underexposed criticism, errant reports, misguided motives, and impulsive blurts. And then how much weight should the mental state factor into divine communications? Yeah, you know, that's those people that just keep can't shut up. They keep blurting out, blurting out, blurting out. That's a poor mental state. And so because you lack control, that's an impulse issue. And you can't control how your mouth, how your thoughts rush through your mouth. Now, this is important. Now, why am I saying this? Oh, yeah, you're always going to blame God. You know, God's escape go forever. And so here we are. Why am I saying this? Because a lot of you, especially those of you who are writing stupid things to not just me, all these leaders, you who are leaving your churches, taking your tithes, taking your offerings and all of that. Do you know if you have followed the, the, the words or the testimony of a mentally challenged, a mentally disordered, dysfunctional person? You don't know that. I know for a fact Several people, I can, if they asked me, I would tell them, several people that left my ministry, I knew they were mentally off and they knew it. But you didn't care. You just wanted to receive evil. You just wanted to run with the evil report. And this is a prophecy case study. See, this is a prophecy case study. So they came and, and, and some of them came and said, well, you know, Dr. Price, I know God told me to come here. I know he told me to do this. But then I had my, my other friend prophet at home that I used to listen to that you didn't keep with. And now it's time for you to pay up and shut up. All of a sudden they're authentic and I'm errant. Do you know? Now, this is a question. I'm leaving you on this thought because it's very important. Do you have a way of discerning the authenticity of the person's mental state? When they start talking about your pastor, are they, you need to check because you know today we can check everything. You need to check. Are they in therapy? Are they schizophrenic? That's true though. Are they bipolar? See, we don't want to apply that to prophecy. We don't want to apply that to church breaks and church fissures. We don't want to do that, fractures. But you need to understand, when God say try the spirit by the word, he meant that. But you all came up with try the spirit by the spirit. That's not Bible. Go and scratch that out of all of your little notes. It said, try the spirit by God's word and God's word in Isaiah 11, one through five. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word of God. And in the beginning of, of the word, and he say that. So you are running, you are tearing churches down by somebody who is mentally unhealthy. Someone in poor mental health. And you haven't, you don't bother to check and see how many times they did it. You know, we, we just joined a church by letter and Christian experience. You don't check their Christian experience. Come on, Providence. Now she's our, I'll tell you, she is our traditionalist. But we used to check them. So I say to you, if you follow somebody in a poor mental state to tear up something that God did and to disrupt your prophecy, I want you to understand God will judge you. Not only will he judge you for disobeying him, but he will judge you for your lack of discernment because you should have heard under the undercurrent in their voice that there was a spirit that they were speaking by. 
or that their words were fractured. One time you hear the story this way, the next time you hear the story that way, and then the next time they're the hero, next time they're the victim. And the Holy Ghost said, I will judge you all for letting the sick, just because somebody's not physically sick doesn't mean they cannot be destructive because they're distraught. You need to know the difference between distraught and dysfunctionalism and disorder. That a lot of these people are deranged. I looked in Webster's dictionary. I really did. If you look in, um, I, I use sort. We don't use that word any longer, but we will. But I looked in Webster's dictionary on Esort, and I looked up the word deranged, and it was so much like the church. I need you to do this. I'm doing this for you because we need to push back on Satan's tools and his instruments. These people may, may in their heart love God to pieces, but their brains are fractured. Their souls are fractured. They are disordered. They don't function. Their hormones don't kick off the right stuff. I'm doing this. You know, I'm studying this in my soul book. So you need to look up deranged. Because a lot of these people are deranged. That means they're out of range. They're out of God's range. They're off the range of truth. Wow. Meanwhile, you're affirming them so they won't get help. Ah. So you're not helping the matter at all. You find I have a woman that left our church, which wasn't a bad thing because we were, we were not for her. So don't hear that. But we weren't for her, were we? This woman, I would preach a message on uh, the social media. Her notes would be 100% the opposite of what I said. So you should have them write stuff for you to see how they do. She could not do it. She is solically dyslexic. Turn around her soul. Woo! She can't hear truth as truth. She flips it. You all don't do truth testing. You need to do that. And so I said, can she ever write it right? We have people who are dyslexic. It never crossed your mind that they may have heard it wrong. But it is gospel. Prophecy Clinic. Clinic. We have people who will cannot tell you the same story twice we have people another woman every time you tell her anything that was negative she took it as a personal you wound my spirit you didn't care to check out their history you didn't care to ask who they left or where they left so tell me about so and so but you know what business does careers do because they can't afford the hit so they meandered throughout the body, coming in your church, telling you that what you're wrong. Three years later, they're turning on you because I'm going to tell you, it takes about three years. Three years, they're turning on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Always. Always. And they're going to leave the same mess behind. They're going to take 20, 30 of your people. We had another woman who was a prophet. I'm telling you, she could not pray without falling all over people because she needed to draw them into that touch contact. So I go to God and I pray about it. This is a study. I'm just talking about cases. You all took those psychology courses. Did you not get these cases? You talk them in your counseling, your prophetic counseling. I'm doing the same thing. You're just not used to apostles and prophets doing it. So I'm sitting there. And I pray, and God shows me this woman's spirit is all lit up. She has this live wire connected to nothing. 
I would love to hear you all's interpretation of that. This woman ends up mad about everybody because the one thing she couldn't stand was that if she couldn't be the ego, then she had to go. You need to start thinking as a prophetic case. These are cases in scripture. Demas has left me loving this present evil world. Uh-huh. Wow. If someone is a busybody, you need to do some casework on this. We need to start doing prophetic casework. Yes, Jen. So we can understand the cause load of these souls. Instead of you all so quick to leave your pastors, leave your church because of this, put your destiny on hold. You want to do you not think that this is a real battle? Satan needs his devils in you the same way God needs the Holy Spirit in you to do what he needs you to do. And devils fight back. So this woman who was so mentally, solically dyslexic, she will never get to truth. And she told she'll tell us we have casework. Oh, yeah, I know it, but I'm just not ready to accept it. I'm not ready to give it up. I'm not ready to let it go. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she's talking to all of these other dysfunctional souls. And they have all got together. And her story runs, even though it's from a dyslexic, emotionally off, bipolar mind. Oh, my God. All of it. So I've read a whole bunch of books on this. This woman, we got by the, her, her, the one that she loves the most, bipolar. You don't know who's going to show up on what day. I don't know what pole is running and what pole is leading. You think? She's bipolar. But she, they never asked Dr. Price. They didn't care. They didn't ask the advisors that have done this thing for 15 years. 15 years. I don't even know. Next week, I'll have y'all tell me how many advisees and advisors advisories you've been given over 15 years how many people types because that's what we do see i don't i'm not running this out and i'm ending on this thought we're not in this clinic for me to pick up people we're in this clinic for us for me to rescue the pastors and the leaders who are suffering bleed out from mentally dis mentally disturbed people we, we even did a class. What is the class we did? The mental health. The mental health first aid. So we did that class and I made all my leaders go through the class and they all took it. So when we say that somebody's schizophrenic, we've got a classic definition. When we say they're bipolar, we've got a classic definition of behavior. Don't y'all just love me? Because I don't want you to just run on my words. I want you to run on the spirit of Christ. Because Jesus Christ has me doing this now to, first of all, to vindicate a lot of leaders, to vindicate a lot of prophets and a lot of pastors, but also to to help you diagnose or at least discern and assess troubled souls and what makes them troubled. That way, you know, don't put them in your leadership. See, we, we learned that. Don't put them in leadership. Let them sit in the middle of the church. Let them just stay, hang out because if they, because when people are off, when they're up close and personal, they're damaging because they, they're living. See that kind of offness, that kind of offness is rooted in an ideal that kept slipping away from them. And so they can't get that ideal happening in their own soul. So they were looking for it everywhere. And when they see that it's not there, then they retaliate. 
and they retaliate because it's the same ideal that they've been missing. They retaliate by attacking the person who has failed them or failed to live up with that ideal. So you're dealing with hyper idealism. Anyway, all right. Guys, I went six minutes over, but I think the last six minutes might have been interesting. But I thank God for you. Play this. Share this. Share, 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 share. Share it everywhere. And then so I need you to sow. I can't help the body if I'm if Satan can bind me up with finances. I need you to sow and I need you to seed opportunities for us to get this everywhere. The next time you hear a piece of gossip or a criticism or anything of the kind by from anyone's mouth, ask questions. Next week, we're going to put up some questions that you can ask and answers that you should look for so that you can preserve your house. You can preserve your prophetic company, your apostles organization, so you can preserve that which you built by recognizing that broken people break people and broke down folks are always looking to tear down somebody else. Mm. Hey, join us Sunday, 8 o'clock Sunday school and 10 o'clock service. I love you dearly. My job is to help you keep what God has entrusted to you, but also to arm you with defenses that will keep that which God has given you to do. I love you greatly. If you're in the Tulsa area, join us. And remember, Think differently, live powerfully. God bless.